0: What would be your stage name? Your one word stage name? (laughs) The only word that popped in my
1: head was coochie.
0: (laughs) I don't know why. Coochie. Coochie. Oh man, but then you could have your own festival called like Coochella. Yeah, or I could go like by Coochie Maine because there's Coochie Maine. Oh, Coochie Maine. (laughs) Oh, hi, this is Mo and this is Sarah and you're listening to the podcast Bird Shit. We started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world.
1: Well, Mo, guess what? It's 2020.
0: New year, same bird shit. And actually, in this case, it truly is the same birdshit since we're talking about the things that happened with birds in 2019.
1: Yeah, it is just a continuation of 2019. Um, 2020 has started off rough so just gonna just gonna go back to good old 2019 for now.
0: My 2020 literally started with me walking outside, going to my work, and I'm like, this is gonna be a great day. And then I just fell flat on my butt, sliding down my driveway in the ice, and I was like, Wow, twenty twenty, you can go and suck a big one because that is not cool.
1: Yeah, mine started with reading things about how Australia is on fire and we're gonna start World War Three with Iran. So I was like, Well, I'm crawling back into bed. <laughs>
0: take me back to that good old 2019 it wasn't that great but i'll go back those were the days yeah
1: so like mo said today's episode of bird Shit, the first one we are bringing you in the year of 2020 will be a reflection of the year of 2019
0: we just love living in the past it's pretty much all we do is live in the past talk about our past lives dude remember last year when we started a podcast that was awesome
1: that was really cool. Props to us for doing that. Nah. it's just an excuse to
0: talk to each other. <laughs> Someone in the world benefited besides us, I'm sure. Maybe. But first, we're gonna do... Birds, birds, in, the news. News. birds, birds in, the in the news! Birds, 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 birds in the news! Birds, in the birds, 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 birds in the news! Woo! That wasn't bad! That was, that was, not, that was not bad! Good things okay. are happening in 2020.
1: My article today is titled, Why Birds Are Getting Smaller and Their Wings Are Getting Bigger. Researchers at the University of Michigan...
0: Represent!
1: Yeah! This is a good one for us. Have analyzed a data set from migrating birds over the last 40 years, and that's over 70,000 birds in total, that shows that their bodies are getting smaller while their wings are getting bigger. The sad part is where this data set comes from. So this data is from the birds that have flown into buildings and been struck and died. So the Chicago Field Museum collects these birds and nearly a billion birds die every year when they fly into windows they can't really see. Mo, as you know from living in Chicago, you have the Hancock Center and Willis Tower, which are huge glass structures, which are some of the biggest culprits for killing birds.
0: I did happen to send a few birds to the Chicago Pigeons Rescue, I think that's what it was called, but they had a hotline that I would call sometimes when I'd find birds. I only, I bought like two or three live birds into my office one time, because gotta get those birds back to the streets. One of them was a blue-gray gnat catcher, and one of them was a, oh, woodcock.
1: Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for saving those birds.
0: Save the birds. Save the birds. But there were a lot more that I saw that were dead, and they made me super sad. That is sad.
1: So... Measuring birds in wild populations is hard because you just don't have the resources to do it. Unfortunately, SAD data set from where we're getting this is really vital to helping understand birds. And what they propose is that the birds' bodies are shrinking due to climate change. So as the climate warms, birds can shrink their bodies because they require less regulation or insulation because it's warmer out. But that means their metabolism should work harder to power their wings, especially for migrating birds. They hypothesize that the increasing wing length represents an adaptation to maintain migration as a reduction in the body size has increased the metabolic cost of flight. In other words, if it's going to cost proportionally more to flap your wings, you want to have bigger wings to do so. So this study has been going on for the last 40 years, which has given researchers enough time to note an overall nearly two degrees Fahrenheit increase in summer temperatures where the birds bred. Because of the link between body size and increasing temperature, scientists feel comfortable suggesting more research into climate change coping mechanisms. So the Michigan team plans to continue studying at the Field Museum where this data set is held and its next step in research into bird morphology over time. This is kind of really sad that this many birds are dying, but it also gives us a really great insight into how birds are adapting to climate change. I feel like that's something we talk a lot about on the podcast. So it's really interesting to see their little cute bodies are getting smaller, but they are developing larger wings. We are going to have pterodactyls very soon again.
0: New year, new wings.
1: New year, new wings, new body, new life.
0: Yeah, talk about like fitness regime changes. They're slimming down and they're getting buff. Damn. Bird goals. It is sad, though, that, like you said, it is sad that they have to use dead birds in order to get this data and that that's a result of all these birds hitting these windows. But on the other hand, at least they're using those birds to learn something.
1: Yeah, it's not a waste.
0: And if they, if they really are so hard to measure and get that data in the field, I mean, at least we're learning about it. If this makes you sad hearing about all these birds hitting windows, if you live in New York City, you are part of the change. It's making change. <laughs> Back at the end of 2019, the New York City City Council passed a vote that will update the building code with design and construction requirements that are aimed at making buildings safer for migrating birds. It requires exteriors on the lowest 75 feet of all new buildings and on any structure above a green roof to have avian-friendly materials such as patterned glass that make transparent surfaces more visible to birds flying at full speed. Even though the bill doesn't include a mandate to retrofit existing buildings, it does require any future renovations to comply with these new standards, which are due to take effect in December of 2020. 2020. When all the cool stuff's happening. A major shout out here to a few people that have made this happen. The New York City Audubon and the American Bird Conservancy did a lot of work with the American Institute of Architects, the chapter that's based in New York, to help find a good balance between What's gonna work for architects? What's gonna work for birds? How can we do this all together? As we know from articles that came out in 2019, North America has lost approximately 3 billion birds, or about 29% of the population, since the 1970s due to all kinds of threats, including climate change, habitat loss, and loss of insect prey. All things that are much, much harder to control than window collisions, which is a pretty easy thing to fix, relatively speaking. And window collisions do play a pretty big role in the loss of birds. As you mentioned, there are like hundreds of millions of birds that die each year across North America as a result of crashing into glass surfaces. And it's estimated that New York City alone has about 230,000 birds that hit buildings and die as a result. Holy shit. Shout out to Christine Shepard at the American Bird Conservancy for working with New York's lawmakers to help make this possible and New York City Audubon for taking this issue and really implementing change. It's going to be a lot better for birds moving forward. All those city slicking birds.
1: Yeah, what about city slicking birds? You just wanted to say that.
0: Part of me wants to sing Uptown Bird, but, you know, I won't do it
1: please actually do it
0: uptown bird you see me flying through the streets like this i'm not in windows anymore oh no i'm living
1: my life in bliss because i'm just an uptown bird bird. i could have helped you out with the lyrics a little but you rock this you rock the singing
0: oh yeah yeah i was in it for the emotions Speaking of other cities that are making great changes for birds as we enter a new year and we're thinking about all the great change that we're going to make in our own lives, Austin Bergstrom International Airport has done incredible work to help make sure that the airport prevents bird strikes that happen between the birds and the planes at the airport. In 2019, Austin's airport experienced 175 bird strikes this year. That's only one more bird strike than they experienced in 2018. That's because the airport's wildlife management biologists that work there are doing some really cool things to help make sure that birds don't interfere with planes when they're taking off. So 175 birds might seem like a little or a lot, depending on your perspective, but given the fact that there were 175,000 takeoffs and landings from the airport, that's a really low number of birds that were killed as a result of all these planes that were moving through the course of the next year. As I've learned in birding, airports are actually a great spot for birds to go because they offer really good food sources and some open space and even like native vegetation that might be harder to find in more urbanized areas. So the birds are like, they're drawn to airports. They're pretty sexy places if you're a bird. Cool place to hang out and pick up some chicks. It's not great for birds though because there's these big dangerous things that are flying through the air and make it a little bit difficult for them. So when they find birds that have been struck by planes, they do report it and they try to understand like what might have caused it and and do some research into that. Pilots are a really great source for reporting bird strikes. And there's also a nearby dump that's located near this airport that also reports birds in its area. So that also helps. They also have a propane cannon that's near the runway area that just fires off like a loud noise, but it doesn't actually fire any physical thing, but it's enough to scare the birds away which is helpful because nobody gets hurt. They're not calling them. Great. They also try to keep the grass at a really short level. So that way there's no seed structure that forms that can oh. attract the birds. They also try to keep the drainage system up to date to prevent any ponds from forming, which would keep away any kind of waterfowl. So they're doing a lot of work to make the environment maybe a little bit less desirable for birds without just completely ruining the chance that birds might be there. And the birds that do go, they try to scare them away before the planes take off.
1: I feel like Austin is a super environmentally friendly city. Yeah,
0: you know, obviously, it benefits them too because you don't have birds that are getting stuck in plane engines mm-hmm. and stuff. It's kind of crazy that they have biologists on site at the airport to help make sure that these issues are being taken care of.
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of people would be like, that's a waste of money or time or resource. And I'm like, no, that's amazing that you have a biologist helping out there.
0: Yeah. I agree. 100% agree. So those two cities are doing a lot of cool things. We've talked about other cities that are doing cool things. Like, what was that? Poopmaster 3000 or whatever in
1: oh, yeah. Portland, Oregon. Yeah, that was awesome.
0: <laughs> as we move into a new year, even though sometimes it can feel a little challenging going up against things like climate change, there are cities out there that are looking in the best interest of birds and as a result, the people that live in those places.
1: Woo, good job, people and birds.
0: I think I shed a little tear.
1: I did, too. I did, too.
0: You were crying about Uptown Bird. I was.
1: I was so emotional. It was really good. (laughs) You guys are going to get a lot of birds in the news in this episode because we are going to talk about some of the top stories from 2019. These are some of the biggest, weirdest, most interesting bird news. And you may hear some repeat stories, or we might have chosen something that's a little more obscure because we've been doing birds in the news pretty much all year. So here are some of the stories, five to be exact, that we thought were either important or interesting enough that occurred in 2019.
0: All right, let's get into it.
1: Okay, the first story comes to us from the New York Times and is moving us backwards in the year of review as this article was released just before the end of 2019 on Christmas Eve. According to this publication, repercussions from a 2017 policy change by the Trump administration has led to limited penalties groups can face for bird deaths. Along with other EPA changes made by this administration, which sucked, and we discussed on a previous episode, this change was made to the Migratory Bird Treaty Act and can impact bird populations by furthering endangering species. The change affects allowing for incidental taking slash killing of migratory birds as long as there was no follow intent. Basically, it allows for companies to move eggs, nest of birds if it interferes with their business. And previously, you couldn't do that. But as
0: long as your intent wasn't to harm the birds, but to continue your business, it's okay. What if your business is literally stealing bird eggs and selling them on the black market?
1: Capitalism will probably win. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they'll just be like, well, it's your business, so... Your business is already illegal, so, like, just keep doing your thing. Just keep going! So while the Act still enforces penalties, the updated memo allows for essentially no limit to the amount of penalties you can accrue. An example obtained by the New York Times was when the Michigan Department of Natural Resources emailed the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to clarify if they could cut down trees that had nests in them. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services responded that they could move forward cutting down the trees with active nests as long as the intent of the action is to cut down the trees for timber harvest versus intending
0: to attack the birds. Holy shit! What? Yeah. This is like straight out of Catch-22 right here. It's like...
1: Oh, yeah. So basically, you can just do whatever you want to birds as long as the intent is to continue to conduct business, aka capitalism wins. Apparently, also in the email, like the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, like had some suggestions on how they could protect the nest, but it was completely voluntary to follow those suggestions.
0: Oh my god! I take it back. I actually don't want to go back to 2019. <laughs> well, this policy is going into 2020, so oh it's gonna be here anyway. God. Everything sucks. (laughs) That is, like, the worst thing I've ever heard. I, like, I have to laugh about it because that is so ridiculous.
1: So, basically, I think it's, like, oh, well... I'm trying to remember how the article phrased it. Basically... Previously, it could have, like, intended that anyone could harm birds because, like, someone moving a nest in your yard. So they're trying to say that the intention of it is for only, like, foul or malintent. It's not for people conducting business because their intentions aren't bad. They just need to conduct business. They just need to make that cash money. Yeah. I mean, they weren't intending to harm the birds when they cut down all the trees and smashed the eggs. But it was just a side part of the business. So, yeah. That was uh, probably the second saddest article in here, so we're gonna go down and then we'll go back
0: up. Moving further back in the timeline, November 2019 brought us some very interesting science news in the world of birds. According to Nature magazine, researchers are tracking endangered species using traces of genetic material. According to the study published in November in Endangered Species Research,
1: how is that a magazine? <laughs> I'm sorry. Endangered Species Research is its own magazine.
0: I mean, that makes sense. But also, that's really sad that a whole magazine exists on that. I
1: know. I know it's sad. But also, I was like, oh, Endangered Species Research magazine.
0: Hmm. Very niche. <laughs> Very niche. And also probably only about... Well, I don't want to get into that. It's probably... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's... You know, I was actually thinking about this. I was like at the doctor's the other... I don't know, a few weeks ago, and I was like, People Magazine is literally just a magazine about people. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I know that sounds so stupid, but I was like, it's just about people. It's just people interested in people who they'll never meet, who are just celebrities. I was like, this is, this is astonishing to me.
1: I think that you could say that that's pretty much about what our whole culture is derived from because, like, politics is just people.
0: I guess that's... I. You know what? I'm going to get a subscription to Endangered Species Research because I think it would be a lot more interesting than people.
1: It'd be way better than people, but I got to know what she's going to name her baby, whoever is on the cover. I don't know who's on the
0: cover. I'll start people. making shit up for you. I'll just tell okay, you everybody's good. baby's names.
1: Oh, oh my God. What? Okay. If you were a celebrity, what would you name your baby?
0: Circadian Rhythm. <laughs> But I'd call it Rhythmie for short.
1: Uh, I think I named my baby Waterhole Drop. Oh, wait, is Waterhole one word? Yep. Okay. Drop's the middle name. Because she's just like a drop in the Waterhole of the world.
0: (laughs) Dude, the Waterhole of the world is just fucking contaminated with filth right now. So maybe you don't want your baby to be there. If I'm a celebrity, my baby's definitely going to contribute to that filth. It's just going to just drop right in there. (laughs) You and your famous baby, waterhole drop. My
1: waterhole drop in circadian rhythm.
0: <laughs> I'm setting my baby up for a career in EDM DJ. Oh my
1: god, oh yeah, definitely. Or, or she's gonna definitely have some narcolepsy.
0: No, I'm totally gonna become an EDM DJ and I'm gonna spell circadian rhythm with like two Ks. And rhythm is going to have no vowels, which means it basically just looks like rhythm without an, without a Y. You hear that? 2020, no vowels. That's the trend. No, that was the trend in like 2018, but I'm going to continue it by just removing one Y <laughs> yeah. from the word rhythm.
1: Really excited for this second career for you. Wow.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's go back to this 2019 Nature Magazine article. So this study, which was published in the Endangered Species Research Magazine, which is Superior to People Magazine, as we discussed, A team gathered DNA from water holes in Australia to confirm that Goldian finches, a near-threatened species in Australia, had gathered at the watering hole in the previous 48 hours, and for the first time using DNA to detect an endangered bird in the wild. Boo, Boo! Mind blown eDNA, dna which is environmental DNA, has been used for about 15 years with the first major study published in 2003 showing that animals and plants leave behind enough DNA in their environments, like bird shit, that's what I'm talking about, but also cell shedding, like I'm assuming like a snake or something, to be detected in the wild. However, many scientists still claim the tool is too new to abandon traditional tracking methods. Further robust studies are needed as ramifications for identifying endangered species are huge. For instance, land can be designated as a critical habitat under the Endangered Species Act. So even though we haven't seen or heard or somehow tracked the species in a given area, we can still use this eDNA to prove that the animal was there. As we face more issues with the protection of endangered species, verifying their locations will be essential in order to protect the habitat in the future. And this study really highlights some of the new and exciting ways research and science is helping us do that. Woo science! Go science! Way better than that last article about capitalism. Yeah, that was a good one. Thanks. Okay, moving to our third article of 2019, the biggest article of 2019... This probably was the most impactful study of the year. It was released in September in Science magazine and it was the most devastating study that showed us that bird populations are disappearing at rapid rates. On Birdship podcast we did cover this story earlier in the year, but we thought it was important enough to bring it back and discuss the insurmountable evidence that climate change and human intervention are having on avian populations. The number of birds in the United States and Canada has fallen by 29% since 1970. Right now, there are 2.9 billion fewer birds taking wing than there were 50 years ago. Absolutely mind-boggling. This study utilized survey results from 2006 to 2015, with 529 different species populations estimated in the U.S. and Canada. This study highlighted that not only are we losing eye-catching birds, but also more common birds like house sparrows and robins, which will have an impact on local environments to a large degree. Even starlings, a species that became a fast-breeding pest after its introduction in the United States in 1890, have dwindled by... 83 million birds, nearly a 50% decline. That's insane. That's insane. Especially right now, I'm like, all the birds that I see are like starlings and gulls. And the fact that even those numbers have dropped by 50% is just like, my brain can't compute that at all. Sadly, the largest decline that we have seen has been noted among grassland species, having lost 717 million birds. (sighs) Yeah. That's like, just, that's too sad to talk about. These birds have been decimated by the advancements in modern agriculture and development. Conservation groups such as the Audubon Society have called for efforts to be heightened in bird areas such as the Great Lakes for further legal protections. We just want to enter 2020 with this mindset when we think about our feathered friends, whether you're making choices about where to live or you know where you buy your food from, what kind of practices you support in your daily life. Think about those little birds every time you are able to make a decision that can help benefit them.
1: So I think that was our saddest article. Yeah, last... girl. Oh, my God. Doubter. I know. The last two articles, though, are a little better. The fourth article we have for you comes from Audubon Magazine. And it's just a reminder that birding is here for you and your mental health. There has been mounting scientific evidence that spending time in the great outdoors, which includes birding, is good for your mental health. According to the article, environmental psychologist Gregory Braitman noted, the field is starting to build momentum right now, which is great for us. Evidence is there to support the conclusion that contact with nature benefits our mood, our psychological well-being, our mental health, and our cognitive functioning. This is really starting to gain some traction. And at one center in the University of California, San Francisco, Binoff Children's Hospital... They prescribed park visits to low income patients, and results noted an increase in children's resilience and also a reduced parental stress and loneliness. Wow, that's so cool. Robert Zarr, who's a Washington, D.C. physician, founded the nonprofit Park Rx America. Rx like prescription. Clever. I know. They're working to get other doctors and healthcare professionals on board with getting their patients outside. More than 600 physicians have signed up to the group's platform to make it easy for doctors to locate green spaces near patients and track how patients fill prescriptions with an activity or frequency in an outdoor area. He envisions that this similar tool could be embedded into electronic health records one day, which would be absolutely awesome. Wow. It's not happening just in the U.S., um, all around the world, but in Scotland, they're also prescribing a dose of nature with the U.K.'s Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, teaming up with health centers to steer patients outdoors in an effort to combat diabetes, anxiety, and depression. Not only is this being prescribed to patients, but efforts in schooling systems to integrate nature into learning is being emphasized throughout the world. Prescribing individuals to get outside and appreciate the nature around them may not only benefit their mental health, but raise awareness and desire for individuals to work towards conservation efforts. Most of you are probably already out there birding, but if you need a plug to get your friend to go with you, just remind them like, hey
0: dude, it's going to be great for your mental health. And everyone wants to hear that.
1: Yeah, especially when you're like, hey, your mental health is terrible. Get outside and look at birds.
0: (laughs) Good friend will tell you that.
1: Yeah. The good friend will definitely tell you that.
0: I think there's definitely something to this. And I think this time of year, it's especially important. Like it is so hard for me to get outside in the winter. And this is not even, this is winter is like not even bad. It's like 40 degrees in Maine right now. It's like kind of, kind of raining, but like, it's not really snowing. It's not negative 20. Like it was in Chicago last year. Like it's fine. I can get outside in this weather. I can't ski, which is sad. But we went to the beach today with some friends, and I brought my binoculars and saw a few birds. Got, like, two birds that I hadn't had before. One was the long-tailed duck, which was pretty cool. <gasps> oh, cool! Yeah, that was super cool. I was like, but it's also hard because no one's in their breeding plumage, so it's a little difficult. And the other one was a bufflehead, head, which I think I've seen before, but I don't actually know if I've put it in eBird. so I got that. And I was like, all right, I saw five different species in two hours. Like, there were not a lot of birds at this beach. It was kind of a crumb crumb day. But... At the same time, I felt so much better after just like being out there and walking around for a little bit, but it's not easy. It's one of those things that I think in winter, you kind of have to amp yourself up for a little bit more, but the benefit is definitely there.
1: Yeah. And it's just a good reminder that even if, if you, even if you are feeling that like seasonal affect disorder to get out there and kind of push yourself to enjoy the outdoors at the camp.
0: I did see that Cornell is giving away a pair of Zeiss binoculars to anyone who submits an eBird checklist every day for the whole year of 2020. So that's like some pretty good motivation right there to get out birding.
1: I already missed out.
0: I feel like if you know you saw a bird on a day, you could probably go back and just put it in there on that day.
1: Yeah, I've been watching my bird feeder every day.
0: Yeah, your bird... Like, I saw my first house finch on my bird
1: feeder, and that was on the first, so that counts. I have... We've been getting so many dark-eyed Junkos. I have never seen them before, but they are so stinking cute. Cute little birds. I know. They just got those little beady eyes. I love them.
0: They kind of, like, look into your soul, though, with those little beady eyes.
1: It's like a shark. The doll's eyes.
0: They can see right into your deepest, darkest feelings.
1: So that was our get-out-in-nature plug. Our last article is actually a combination of two articles, and it's just more of a fun, interesting bird news article that I don't think we talked about this year. So the first one coming from uh, livescience.com has to do with the discovery of a Chonky parrot.
0: Which I take it back, that's what I would name my baby. I'd name my baby Chonky. Chonky. That's my celebrity baby name is Chonky. Chonky P.
1: I love it. Oh my God. And then when I'm like, uh, fading out on my music career as Coochie, I can start taking Chonky on tour with me and we can be Chonky and
0: Coochie. (laughs) There's nothing like a Chonky Cooch. (laughs) Chonky Cooch. That definitely sounds like a disease.
1: Yeah, it's not great, but this is not a Chonky Cooch. It's actually a Chonky Parrot. So... New Zealand researchers in 2008 discovered the fossils of some pretty big bird legs, and, assuming since they were pretty big bird legs, they must have belonged to an eagle or bird of prey. However, they were wrong. A graduate student, Ellen Mather, noticed the bones, and a reanalysis of the remains showed they belonged to not an eagle, but the largest parrot ever discovered. Oh my god. The bird which roamed New Zealand about 19 million years ago stood about three feet high- and clocked in at 15 pounds, more than double that of the chunky kakapo.
0: Oh my god, can you imagine if like all those people who post domestic bird memes, if they had access to this parrot?
1: You could walk him around on a little leash, it would be so cute! Oh my god. Some have dubbed him Squawkzilla, which is the sole reason I chose this article, because that's amazing. But the study authors formally named him Hercules Inexpectasis which means Hercules after the powerful hero of Greek mythology and Inexpectasis to reflect the surprising nature of this discovery. I chose this article because it comes to highlight how much we still have to discover about the history of birds, hopefully which some information can impact how we see species today.
0: Yeah, I'm never looking at a parrot ever the same way. No, no,
1: I'm going to imagine it as tall enough to like poke my belly button.
0: Oh, I always think about whenever I'm out in the forest and I see like ferns, I think about the fact that ferns used to be the size of, like, white pines. Yeah. Isn't that bonkers? I'm like, now you're just a lowly fern. Like, that's probably how the parrot feels.
1: (laughs) Are you talking down to ferns? Now you're just a lowly fern. Look at you. It
0: literally is a lowly fern. It is on the ground. Like, you know, two feet tops. You're like 10% of what you used to be capable of being that's what the parrot feels like. The parrot's like, you don't know my history. Yeah, in 2020, I'm really gonna
1: give some self-help books to ferns and parrots to help them get (laughs) back to who they used to be. And then the last one was more of a personal one that just really stuck with me this year. And it was looking at a current species of bird. The final article regards a slightly rather unique bird that was found in Erie, Pennsylvania. So as a Michigander, Mo, you too, we're used to seeing the stark contrast between the bright red male cardinal and the muted yellow female cardinal, or like tan yellow. However, one sighting brought these together with a rarer cardinal that was plumed in feathers that are red on its right side and the browny yellow on its left. So this was photographed by Shirley Cadwell in her backyard, and she didn't realize the bird's quirks went beyond its usual plumage. This cardinal is a bilateral gynandromorph, meaning half the bird's body is male and the other half is female. So according to scientists, female birds carry both sex chromosomes, which in birds are labeled as a W and Z, and then the males carry two Zs. Gynandromorphy can happen when a female egg develops with two nuclei, so that one nucleus contains a single Z chromosome and the other contains a single W. Because this bird is split, it's unlikely that it would be able to sing because that's a skill only developed by lusty male cardinals. However, this bird may not be infertile like most ganganderomorphs, because this one has its left side as a female and the left ovary in the bird is still functional.
0: God, birds are so fucking weird. <laughs> Isn't it?
1: So that's why I chose this. Because I was like, first of all, it looks super cool. It's a very dynamic shot of a bird just basically split down the middle. But the fact that it's just like, oh, okay, it can't sing because it's only half male. But it can also have a baby because the left side of it is a female. And I'm like, oh my God, why?
0: This actually is a very 2019 article. When I when I think back in 2019, I think that like non-binary identities had a really big year in 2019. And this bird is basically the definition of a non-binary binary gender because it is both and yet neither yet can reproduce but can't sing like yeah and we'll put the picture of this in the podcast notes so you guys can all see this bird it is truly half male cardinal and half female cardinal like the colors there's like a distinct line on the bird's body where half of it is red and half of it is like that typical like taupe gray brown color totally freaking insane like science just continues to amaze me
1: yeah i know i that's why i was like okay we're gonna go with the prehistoric bird that doesn't exist and then a new weird bird that can happen randomly because of genetics so birds are crazy but that is your year in review of the articles we found interesting in 2019 obviously we've covered a ton of them through birds in the news but that was what i picked out on the internet (music)
0: As a follow-up to the biggest bird articles of 2019, we also want to talk about five birds that had a really freaking awesome year. So we're going to talk about five different birds that we thought had a really great 2019 for various reasons. The first bird that really had... I guess I should say bird species. It's not necessarily a particular bird. (laughs) This one goose. (laughs) This one goose? Well, maybe. Okay. So the first bird species that had a really big year... Was the goose. And this is because of Untitled Goose Game, which came out in 2019. And I swear to God, I have never seen some better memes than what came out of Untitled Goose Game. Untitled Goose Game, for people who aren't familiar, is basically a game where you are a goose and you go around terrorizing... The people in this quaint little small town by doing things like hiding their stuff or scaring them when they're about to make like some really important life decision or move and basically just like terrorizing everyone. And I remember reading a review of the game where somebody said, I knew that I had reached my peak gooseness when a child would see me in the game and immediately start crying. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that is true gooseness right there. That's Max Goose. The game itself actually originated from a stock photograph of a goose that somebody who worked at the game production company called House House, uh, he posted a picture of the stock goose photograph in the company's internal communication channel. And then people started talking about geese for a while, but they kind of didn't develop it into a game until a few months later when they realized like, oh, this could actually be a really fun game to just be a goose where you go around and you like wreck people's lives. They cited a few different games for their inspiration about creating the game, but one of them was Super Mario 64. What? Yeah, it was like a super iconic game for anyone who played N64, but the idea was basically you control a character that moves around this 3D environment... And you have like different objectives and different things you need to do within that space, which is basically how Super Mario 64 played out. The idea was like, they weren't really sure how people were going to interact with it. And so they first tried to make it like a super violent game. And then they were like, this is like not what geese are about. Let's instead focus on just making it this really quirky, silly, funny game. And (laughs) so they did. Can I
1: retract that though? Geese are about violence. That's their number one motive.
0: I think it's more geese are, how can I make someone's life just the right amount of miserable? Yeah. Yeah, like maybe violence isn't the objective, but it's like... Misery is, though. Misery is the goal, and it achieves that, and this game achieves that in every possible way. If you want to play Untitled Goose Game, you can get it on a lot of different platforms. I believe it's on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. I think it's on Steam now, but it's an online
1: place where you can play games.
0: Ah, gotcha. And you can also get it on Nintendo Switch. Ooh. Go and check it out if you're into that kind of thing. This game lets you be a goose, and I just think it's cool that birds can impact our life in really small ways like this. Like, they could have made this game about any other animal, but it's like, everyone understands the personality of a goose. And this game truly does its best to embrace it and make birds a part of, like, our everyday interactions. Even birds that we think we don't really pay attention to, like pigeons or house sparrows or something. it's like, this is literally just a goose, but it's a bird, and it's a part of our society. Good job, Goose. The second bird of 2019 that had a really awesome year is the piping plover.
1: I knew you were going to do this one.
0: I know. And some people say piping plover, but I'm a piping plover. Who says plover? I don't... People say plover. There was this poster that came out that said, like, Chicago is for plovers. And I was like, that doesn't make sense to me because it's plover. But apparently that's the whole... Anyways, whatever. Piping plovers. Huge year for piping plovers because of the piping plovers that nested in Chicago. The first time in 70 years that Chicago had nesting piping plovers on Montrose Beach. The reason I thought these birds had just a fantastic year was the amount of not only localized attention that they drew in the Midwest, but also nationally. These two birds, Monty and Rose, because they nested at Montrose Beach... (sighs) I know. They were at the center of a lot of political strife. And I think that the story of these birds and watching them sort of persevere through all of this political red tape bullshit especially being a citizen of Chicago at the time, just gave me a lot of hope for conservation and the changes that need to take place to make a better place for birds and people and seeing it happen here. So for those of you who aren't familiar, we did talk about this story a little bit in 2019, but these two birds nested in an area that's a public beach where there's volleyball courts like right there. And they are federally protected. It's against the law to not only disturb the birds, but disturb their nest and basically make their life miserable because they're flighty. They'll abandon their nests. And there was also this huge music concert that was supposed to take place literally like a football field away from where these birds were nesting. There were a lot of petitions that were signed. There was a lot of social activism around protecting these birds. There were also a lot of people on the other side of the table that were like, these are just two birds. Like, they're not a big deal. We have a right as people to be here. Dogs have a right to be on this beach. This concert needs to take place. And in the end, Monty and Rose, they bred some chicks. Everybody flew south. I know Monty and Rose made it south because they were tracked and so they were reported making it to their winter nesting grounds and the concert got canceled. Hell yeah! Hell yeah, they did because it's like, this is going to be bad for the birds and also the water levels were really There was a bunch of stuff, but basically I realized by following the story and being a part of Monty and Rose's nesting experience that I think people really can make change if they really want to and seeing how that happened in real life was like oh my god like people can make a difference and we can do these things for birds and even if it's just two of them like there's a bright light in 2020 and i'm seeing it baby (laughs) (laughs) you were like going so good and then you were just like and i'm seeing it baby i know i was i saw my soapbox just getting a little too big no
1: no your soapbox i was like i can't snap but i was like snapping girl i snap snapping for you. You can't snap. No.
0: Oh my god! It doesn't make any noise when you try. And no. Snap.
1: Nothing comes. I can't whistle. I can't snap. Okay, whistling is hard. But <laughs> God was like, "This girl's noisy as shit." I'm not gonna let her be able to do talk loud and whistle and snap. No, you
0: gotta revoke some of those privileges. Yep, not happening. Anyway, piping plover. Boo boo. Not the piping plover. No, screw that vowel pronunciation. The third bird that we had in here that had a super big, yeah, was the Kirtland's Warbler. After 50 years of being on the endangered species list, basically the Kirtland Warbler was on the list. As long as the Endangered Species Act has been in existence, it is finally off the endangered species list, which is pretty freaking cool. Technically, it was off the list in October 2019, but you know what I'm saying. The Fish and Wildlife Service announced that removing this bird from the endangered species list is an incredible feat, really, from from all the work that was done, not only... the state of Michigan, but also other federal agencies to be able to make sure there's enough space for these birds to really thrive and come back. Really cool success story. In 1971, two years before the Endangered Species Act went into place, the Kirtland's warbler population was down to about 201 singing males and was only in six different counties in the northern part of Michigan's lower peninsula. Holy shit. That's a very few amount of birds. So by 2015, which was the last year that they had a full census, the population reached a record high of 2,383 singing males, and they had expanded their geographic region as well. The Fish and Wildlife Service did note that the, quote, frequent, loud, and persistent singing of territorial males during the breeding season is what made this count possible for them to be able to see this. So even though the bird is off the endangered species list, it does still remain a conservation-reliant species, meaning that there will still be a lot of management to make sure that it's still able to succeed and thrive and doesn't like, you know, the populations don't rebound. I will say that the caveat of this story is that there were a lot of changes to the Endangered Species Act, and that really sucks. Trump did make a lot of changes to the Act. These changes mean that it is a lot easier to remove a species from the endangered list and therefore weaken those protections for a threatened species as well. Basically, like the species go from endangered to threatened, and not only is it easier to be removed from the endangered list, but it also weakens the what can be done to protect species that are on the threatened list. The EPA did state that the new rules only apply to future listing decisions and doesn't actually impact animals and plants that have existing protections unless their status changes. So the Kirtland's Warbler is sort of one of those species that, while removed from the list, does still require protection, but under these new EPA changes... It's kind of hard to know if it's going to get what it needs to continue surviving. And one other thing I will say about that. So even though the Kirtland's Warbler's when we talked about, the Interior least Tern was also listed as an Endangered Species Act recovery success in 2019 as well. And it was also proposed that this bird is removed from the Endangered Species list. Good. It's good to see someone bouncing off the list for hopefully actually good reasons. For those who don't know the Interior least Tern... It is a small bird that nests in rivers along the Midwest and the Southern United States. And basically the interior species is like the one that nests interior. Normally the bird spends a lot of time out at sea. They did state that the least turn would be the 45th species to be delisted for recovery in the United States. Wow! And 21 of those species were listed in the last five years. Conservation takes time. The fact that it took that long to get a lot of these species off the list is something to consider as the EPA makes these changes to laws that we cannot control. But just sort of thinking about conservation as possible and change does happen.
1: Go birds! The next bird we have on our list uh, actually comes to us from New Zealand. And I think this is a super cute story that you found out. In New Zealand, they actually do a vote for the bird of the year. Which I think is something we should definitely do and adopt if we already do it. We missed out. I'm not aware of it. Tell us about it. But New Zealand does this and it is super cool. And the bird that won this year is the hoiho or the tarakaka, which means noisy in Maui. So this is a yellow eyed penguin. It is super cute and only native to New Zealand. The yellow eyed penguin is most easily identified by the band of pale yellow feathers surrounding its eye and circling the back of its head. It is a tinier little guy. And the reason that this bird may have won for the year is that things are actually looking pretty bad for these guys. So on the New Zealand mainland this species had been experienced a significant decline over the past 25 years. On the Otago Peninsula numbers have dropped by 75% and there is a possibility of local extinction in the next 20 to 40 years forest and birds and any other groups who are conservationists in New Zealand are working hard to help these noisy little penguins. These seabirds have to deal with introduced predators like rats, stoats, cats, and dogs on land. And while at sea, they get caught in fishing nets. And with the warming oceans, it means they have to swim further to catch a good feed for their chicks. So it is um, really great that New Zealand is bringing attention to the hoi ho, And hopefully this little feathered penguin who is only native to New Zealand and is absolutely adorable will get some much needed further attention in 2020 though it is the bird of the year for 2019 in New Zealand. The last bird that we think did something cool in 2019 or had a great year in 2019 is the tricolored blackbird. This is uh, native to California's Central Valley and it is a blackbird with red shoulder patches that congregate in marshes and croplands. It kind of looks like a red-winged blackbird. It which, looks exactly like yeah, a red-winged Yeah, it looks exactly <laughs> like a red-winged blackbird. Yeah.
0: Except apparently it's tricolored. It's got more than just one color.
1: Yeah, they have a little white line below the shoulder, um, and they have a really cool cat-like song. Um, Some cool facts about the tricolored blackbird is that they create one of the largest breeding colonies out of all passerines in North America. In 1930, one colony covered almost 59 acres and contained about 300,000 birds. Oh my god. Yeah, that's a lot of birds getting it on. Unfortunately, because of their native habitat, which is a lot of agricultural land, they have been facing uh, huge losses in their populations. So the California Audubon, recognizing this, decided to work with farmers in 15 different farms in four counties. So what they did was they established partnerships with the farmers to delay harvest for six weeks until the chicks could fly off the nest. Saving the birds was a collective effort from the Audubon's California Tricolored Blackbird Conservation Team, donors, family farms, and agriculture partners, including the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service. So this was a huge win and a life-saving breeding season for the species because they were able to actually work with farmers to help delay when they got their crops, which I think just something as minor as this, like I'm sure it's a lot of work for the farmers to reschedule and work on shipments and stuff. We want to give a shout out to California Audubon and the farmers for recognizing the importance of this and working together to save the species.
0: Waiting six weeks to harvest your crops is a significant amount of time if you're a farmer. Contrasting the very first thing we talked about today, to be able to like put aside your own financial gains to do something... For a species that they, they also said this was what is considered like a life-saving breeding season basically this was a huge like a bumper <laughs> breeding season I guess to bring farming turns into it but this breeding season was able to secure the future of the tricolored blackbird because they were able to breed so much and they were able to kind of like boost their numbers to a significant amount the fact that those farmers appreciated that and could understand that and were willing to put aside their own benefit in order to help these birds like That is a feel good. Are you snapping? I'm snapping because I can do it. But that's so freaking cool. Like, man, I it's another one of those things that just gives me like that little glimmer of hope that people can do good things for nature and understand that it's part of a greater good than just their own financial gains. And they still probably made money. I mean, they're still farming. Yeah, they're still harvesting crops yeah exactly they're still able to do the thing it's not they were like oh well fuck that crap like those birds have been there for too long it's like no like they just had to wait a little bit longer but that's not insignificant that they had to do that either
1: i think this is a great one to end on because it is what spirit i hope we go into 2020 with is this like glimmer of hope we're gonna fix shit
0: yeah let's end this article before we talk about something bad
1: (laughs) yeah let's not talk about bad let's just go okay bye
0: Just kidding. We got to do an outro because you guys probably haven't memorized our email address yet after all the episodes you've listened to.
1: Nope. No one's memorized. Hellobirdshit at gmail.com.
0: I don't think they have. Hmm. Shame. Well, that's what it is. Same email, new year. And our Instagram is also still the same. You can find us at birdshitpodcast. Send us your bird pics or we'll post your bird pics or just generally we'll just post bird stuff. Birds. Birds, 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 birds,
1: birds, 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 birds.
0: birds, 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 birds. birds what is happening? That's my circadian rhythm song. Birds, 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 <laughs> <laughs> birds, birds.
1: Wow, I already am signing you onto a record deal right now. How are we ending? How are we ending this? It's kind of, it's kind of trailing off into the abyss.
0: All right. Well, all right. So in
1: the spirit of 2019, we're going to keep going on with how we end things into 2020 and just say,
0: keep your eyes to the skies.
1: Our story kind of talks about a win that these birds got in California as they protect 178,500,000 birds. What? What? Why did I just say? What number? That's not I the right say?
0: number. 178,500. 1, 500
1: birds. Can't read my numbers. What's that face for?
0: My bedroom door just opened on its own. They have a fucking ghost in here.
1: That ghost heard that number and was like, that bitch can't count.
0: <laughs> my ghost was like, "I need to teach these bitches how to do math?
1: As mentioned, this bird has been facing some issues due to where it chose to nest. And in 2019, the Okay, Audubon... wait a second.
0: Like, I don't think the bird like chose where it nests. It's just where it nests. It's where it nests.
1: Like yeah, I'm not saying it like chooses one tree over the other, but like because of its natural habitat.
0: That sounds bad.
1: There we go. <laughs> like, there we go.
0: This bird made some bad choices. Yeah, and- in
1: 2019, the tricolor blackbird was fucking up. Let's be real.